Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Check out the new sporty and spacious Renault Arcana in petrol and full hybrid. Guaranteed delivery, low AP or finance and 48-hour test drive. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to Thursday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Our final show ahead of the Easter break. Looking forward to the uh, holiday. I really am. Great to have you with us. If you want to talk to us on the show, send us a message. Or if you have something to say, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text gets us directly here in studio. We have lots of interesting chat and guests to come between now and half past three. But I begin today with our women with opinions. You knew and you will remember they were in studio with us on a monthly basis before the pandemic. But the pandemic has put an end to all that. And we've been tip-tapping and uh, tagging them from time to time since. And today, back with me on the phone lines, I'm delighted to say our Kira Burke from Sage and Stone and Carmel McCarthy from EMS and Associates. Welcome back, ladies. Hi, Thanks, Jerry, and happy Easter. And many happy Easters to you too as well. What, while on the topic of Easter, should we might as well start on a light note. Kira, what do you love about Easter? Um, well, it's... it's um, I tell you what, I, I absolutely used to love... Um, go, and, and I don't do it anymore, to be honest. I used to love going to all the ceremonies at Easter. Yeah, we were dragged, right? We were dragged to them, but you know all the different things. Like I think tonight is washing the feet night, and um, tomorrow night is tomorrow. Like it was a lovely kind of community thing, but I just, I just, you know, I'm either too busy or you know the way most people like I, oh, yeah, I'll go, I'll, I'll do it, but they never do. Mm. Do you know the kind of way? Mm. So um, I think you know Easter is is all about eggs and Easter eggs at now but uh, I think if we did participate in the actual uh, meaning of Easter it would probably be a little bit more meaningful No, isn't and that interesting I didn't expect that answer Carmel what about you I I would agree with uh, Kira there I think we've lost the run of it it's all um, Easter bunnies and Easter eggs which isn't what it's about really although mm. you know it's nice to have the fun for the kids but Having said that, as I was listening to Kira there, I was getting a sense of, well, listen, what we were doing before was part of our culture as mm. well yeah. as being, you know, as I say, a religious element. And that was nice. Um, yes. You know, they were like you, you felt you felt and you were uplifted with it. Mm. Like. I, I like to get in to do the Stations of the Cross, certainly, uh, you know, on Good Friday. I think that's important. I think it's important that we probably, you know, ground ourselves a little bit. Mm. And like that, mm. I, what I like about it too, it's, it's not the mad running around that you have before Christmas. Yes, yes. It's I- funny, as I was walking around the garden yesterday and seeing everything come to life and new growth yes. and everything, that's probably, they're the bits. Ah, lovely. I I, I love that. And I I have to say, I can remember, but I I can empathise with Kira there as well, being an altar boy in the Dominican church for years at this time of the year and all the ceremonies and and the long gospels, etc. But look, they're your thoughts on Easter. I want to throw something uh, to you, Kira, for yourself to start. And I think you're involved in this. Look, we've moved mountains for people from the Ukraine in this country to get them in, sort them out with everything. And it's fantastic to see. But I'll ask you this question, Kira. 
What about the people who've been in direct provision for years in this country and couldn't work or couldn't do anything really outside of being confined within the walls, Mosny being an example, on, on our doorstep here? Did that ever cross your mind with what's going on now? Of, co- of course it does. And, and why, were we, why are we so welcoming to the Ukrainians and, and not to the Syrians and to the to the Afghans and to all the Bosnians that come in over the years. And um, I think it's because um, at the moment we're welcoming mothers and children because we can relate to that. Mm. But if we were, if it was like the whole population and it was men and, you know, um, big burly lads coming to your house, I'm not sure that you'd be as, as happy to, do you know what I mean, welcome them in. So that's one thing. The other thing is that, you know, I, I spoke to somebody who worked in the in Mosley and I said, why don't we just give them all, you know, PBS numbers and let them, you know, work and mm. let them have a life or whatever. And he said, well, most of them come in without any papers whatsoever. So you don't know whether they are, you know, they have been done for for crimes in their in their countries or whatever. So that all has to be. And until their their, their papers are are, um, are found or created, whatever, like we, they'd be the worst people in the world if they let them out and then suddenly you had someone running amok, you know, creating havoc in uh, this country. I understand that, Kira, but. Jeepers, you're talking uh, about a time frame oh, here that's know, years and years. Yes, Come know. on, like, like you know. There's people, there's people who have been in there and yes. they're highly qualified people and yeah. they, they no longer are available to work because they haven't worked for 10, mm. 15 years. Yes. It's an absolute crime. It is a crime. Yeah. So, have have you know, somebody from Ukraine with you? Did I hear that? No, or I working do, for I you? Have, I, my sister has a girl... Uh, no, we just took them in, like, oh, right. recently. Yeah. Um, so my sister has a girl and her daughter, and um, her husband is still in Ukraine, working for a logistics company. And um, then I have a girl who's a single girl, and she's 28, and she, you know, her company closed down during the war. She's from Kiev. She has her own apartment, and um, she's had to just walk away and leave everything. Her parents are still there, and they will not leave. Oh my God Almighty! When you think of people in those positions, and 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 you know, it's it's, it's really sad. It's shocking. People, it's shocking. and it's like you or me walking out of our house, leaving everything. Yes, they are highly educated. This girl has about three degrees and a master's, mm. and uh, like she's after signing up for another degree while she's here. And uh, lovely girl, same as ourselves. You know, like yes. she has her family, loves her family, and um, it's it's just like us having to just leave with a case and move to another country and not know when you'd be back. Mm, yeah, good on you. Carmel, just from your work experience and that as well, uh, I, I want you to, to address the issue of all these years, people being confined in direct provision and not being sorted out or able to work or whatever. But um, in a general sense, Carmel, you know, Kira and her sister and lots of other people listening today uh, have uh, opened their homes up to people from the Ukraine. Um, work-wise and getting set up here, what will that be like, Carmel? Well, the thing is, I know a certain. Recently, I was I, I, at, a, at a conference with a group of, of principals from uh, PLC colleges, and they were saying, "Listen, we're going to have people coming from Ukraine. So first things first, if, if English language courses need to be organised, yep. to get on the ground and do those. So that that's happening. And you know what we have identified too is that." Um, you know, people are coming in here highly skilled. We need a lot of these people because, I mean, for example, in in the hospitality industry, you know, they're crying out for skilled mm. people. So we can we can easily um, employ people if it's a case of that they have a workable knowledge of English. Yeah. And we've got to remember the these are wartime refugees as. Kira said they picked up a bag and walked out of their house and mm. left it all behind them. They're not economic refugees. Yes, yes. So, you know, we have to differentiate between that. Yeah. Certainly, I think if we get it right, you know, there are opportunities here for people coming into the country and we will get it right. Yeah, and it, it, it will enhance. There's no doubt about that. Carmel, what about the issue, just quickly, uh, on, on direct provision and people there years and years and years? Well, you see, you can't really comment on, a, on, on, I know it's very sad to see people there for years and years and years, but, and, you know, we should, the government should be moving things more quickly. The problem is, I think, the countries they have come from, it's they're coming up against 
brick walls when it comes to try and get paperwork. Yes, yes, as as Kira said, yeah, yeah, we, we I hear, yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying on that one and, there. Um, and we can't jump the gun on it. Yeah, I, I understand, Kira. What about energy costs? Your business, you're both business women, and and you can see the effect of it. Yeah, you especially, Kira, in the hospitality and the wonderful Sage and Stone there, just outside Dulic. Um, we're caught, we're up pants down again. Come on, it's time to build a couple of nuclear stations in Ireland, Kira. Well, now, I'd love a, a win. If I had a windmill at the top of my hill, I'd power the whole of the leak. But that's obviously not, uh, not a, a runner just yet. But if there's any ministers out there, you know what? It's so easy. Uh, and I'd, I'd power the whole of everybody around me who would be objecting. I wouldn't say they object if they got their electricity for free. Mm. Because the wind that comes down that road. I have no problem with nuclear, um, nuclear power, to be honest. Um, as long as it's contained and properly managed, it's the, probably the most... Uh, it's, the, it's the best option we have going but other than but I think we have a superpower in this country and I don't know why we don't have windmills around the coast Okay, Carmel, nuclear, yeah. pro yeah. or uh, against? I'm I'm pretty much against because we, well it's been proven with the likes of Chernobyl it's not exactly eco-friendly mm. so I'm I'm dubious about um, about nuclear I do I agree with Kira God we have so much wind in this country yes. and I wouldn't care if I had like three or four windmills out in my garden, if we were all getting a bit of free energy from it, like, and we do, we we have we have the potential there. So mm. would people stop giving out and saying, you know, I I don't like the look of these windmills. Mm. You know, come on, I prefer to be looking at a couple of windmills than uh, an increased. Uh, energy bill. Yes, a doubling of your bill. The the one thing the one thing I'll say to both of you and back to you, Kira, with the windmills, great, and it is a windy country by times. But you do realise since about autumn last year through to near Christmas time, when uh, the, the turbines would have not moved because we had the most calm month on month period of weather. And I spoke to this to uh, people from Med Erin in history. So when that happens, you've no electricity, and when you've loads of wind, you can't store it. There are problems, Kira, with it. Yeah, no, I know there are, but they're, they're, it's all about the storage of the batteries and all the rest. Uh, like the, it's, it's technology that is coming on stream. But I think we have to look. We have to look at it. We have to look at solar. And even if it's going to, even if it's going to heat your water for the summer, it's not going to be better than um, having to, yes. you know, heat it with yes. gas. Yes, yes. Just look, baby steps. I think we just need to get get on board with wind and solar, and then you know the rest of it. Then can be. Um, we can we can organise you know but I just think we have to do baby steps and that's I'm actually on a program at at the minute with my waste my energy um, and everything because of the cost of it and yeah. it's just not uh, I have to I have to look at solar and wind and uh, oh yeah look at you know. I'm interested in that I'll come back to you on that one I must pay you a visit yeah. to to go through that with you now um, yeah. uh, the war in Russia continues this man doesn't seem to be interested in talking to anybody anymore. He's on a, a new uh, front now on the Donbass region, and it's just horrific. Now, we are a neutral country, have been since we were founded. Uh, is it time to review neutrality? Is it is neutrality old hat at this stage, Carmel? Well, the thing is, it's the likes of the neutrality, and that it all goes back to the Cold War and, uh, and that. So I think... We probably have to revisit it, but maybe we have to look at, we say, the European Defence Alliance. Because you've got to remember, we do not have an army. We have defence forces. We don't have a navy. We have a naval service. We don't have an air force. We have an air corps. So we're basically, you know, we're, okay. we'll defend our own country, but we're very much peacekeeping. And so we have to review where we are on that. You can't just suddenly say, right, lads, we're, uh, we're uh, members of NATO tomorrow. It's, it's a much bigger picture looking at, you know, what our, uh, what our defence forces actually is and can it metamorphosize into something greater? Well, I, I, you know, Carmel, like the, the, the army, and, and they'll tell you this, we have a small army. The spend has been pretty small on it. We don't have a lot defensively. Kira Bork, what happens if Mr. Putin threatens us? Who, who's going to come and defend us? 
Well, I think I think we will be defended by um, our European allies, um, and I, I think we will be defended by the European members. But I do think that there is a place for neutrality. Um, like I'm on the fence about this. I really I don't know enough about it. To be You're honest. neutral. You're neutral. Not like you to be neutral with an opinion. No, no, but I do think that we do have to, uh, we do have a place in being a neutral country because when the war is over. We'll be in on peacekeeping, and there is a, there's a place for that as well. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So um, I think there's a lot of people who a lot of the Irish army have been in Bosnia, have been in Liberia, have been in many places that there has been war, and then post-war, then they're coming in to clean up the mess or whatever. Mm. So I think that there is a place for that, but um, I I don't know enough about NATO and you know all that belongs to it. I mean, if I was if I, if I was, I'd have been probably. Uh, bombing bombing uh, Russia by now if I was in NATO but um, I'm not so I'm probably mm. it's probably just as well I'm not Kira yeah. <laughs> Bork won't have her finger on the button we're all really reassured exactly. to hear that and, I have to the say the other thing is that there's about 60 people ahead of Putin before he gets to, to the button mm. so at least mm. we have that unless he gets to them all but I think they can't all be as mad as yes, that yes and, and I do say again what a foolish move it would be to discharge yes. a nuclear weapon because it really is writing uh, their own destruction as well and the destruction of the world. And God, that has to yes. be to the forefront of everybody. Just before we finish, Carmel, you've a crow to pick with a beautiful looking uh, uh, mother of the groom at, at a prominent wedding recently, Carmel. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Victoria Beckham. Now, she didn't look like your typical uh, mother of the room. I could say that. All I could do was chuckle. Now, she did look great. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just me with uh, having a grouch. But, <laughs> like, there wasn't a wrinkle in sight. And, you know, she was rather pouty looking. And I couldn't decide whether she was pouty looking because she was upset over her... Uh, the eldest son getting married or whether she just had overdone it she was with the filler you, know, <laughs> you do know as well Kira, and, and you've been a restaurateur as one of your uh, one of the strings to your bow that uh, Posh Boys eats the same meal the same meal oh, and yeah, has for the last what 20 20 25 yeah. years every day does that not say a lot about that, that maybe that's why she looks so well Kira. Maybe. Well, I mean, I, well, I'm glad now that I don't look as well as uh, Posh Boys because I love my food and I like the variety. Here's your sister. Yeah, exactly. She can keep her fillers. I, I have a good life. And I have a smile on my face as opposed to her. Yeah. Uh, listen, it's, uh, it's great to have you with me today. Please, God, we'll be back together soon, face to face. I really hope for that in the not-too-distant future. But for today, as usual, you're fantastic. Kira Burke from Sage and Stone, just outside the league, and Carmel McCarthy from EMS Associates. Thank you very much. Happy Easter again. Thank, Thank you, Jerry. Thanks a million. Take care of yourselves. Bye bye. Bye bye. I miss them. I miss the crack with them. And they always Kira Box sitting in the fence. Not on your life, folks. Our strength is our neutrality, says a listener, Jerry. And many people hold that view. I have to be honest with you today. I don't. I believe. I believe. And we've been talking about those topics there. I believe we should uh, move down the nuclear energy road. We got it, uh, and there's new huge developments there uh, coming down the tracks. And also, I honestly think neutrality has had its day. That's just my opinion. For what it's worth, I'll tell you. I think we need to be aligned. We're members of the EU, and we need to be aligned defensively. And this invasion of Ukraine has brought that home to me personally. There you are. That's my tuppence worth. Jim's been on to be from uh, Navin. Thank you, Jim, to say we should remain neutral, Jerry. We're too small it would really have little effect that's Jim's opinion thank you indeed I have to say I'm really sad because we've just learned in the last while well I heard it earlier on this morning we're just waiting for confirmation that Jimmy Weldon the wonderful photographer has passed away suddenly and unexpectedly after a short illness and many people listening today will know Jimmy Weldon well he was just part of the fabric of Drogheda and the greater Drogheda area with his camera for years and years, publishing wonderful books, Jimmy's People, and he just loved the town he came from and the people and the places, and he captured so much uh, around this area for years and years and years. He has some repertoire, but we've just learned of his untimely passing, and we remember Jimmy Weldon today and think of his wife Katrina and offer our sincere sympathies to her and his family and friends. It's really shocking, shocking news. It really is. And I'm getting messages in here as I speak to 086 1800 658. That's the number if you want to get in touch with us by WhatsApp or text. 
mentioning Jimmy this afternoon. Some lovely words about him. But we remember him here on LMFM Radio. He's a regular visitor here as well to us in the station and took many wonderful photographs for us at special times. Lord have mercy on his soul. He was a gentleman. He really was. He'll really be missed. He really will. Moving on on late lunch this afternoon, I'm joined by a regular hours on the show and we know and you know how we love our wildlife and especially our feathered friends. But I'm delighted to say hello again on late lunch to Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland. Hello, Niall. Hello, how are you doing? I'm really good. Thank you for joining me today. Now, before we get into the migration, there's been something on my mind to ask you when you were with me next. And it, it's around the dawn chorus, Nile. And here okay. I have a little conundrum for you. I'm up like the early birds, anyway, very early in the mornings. But take today, around about 5.30, uh, the birds, they're coming into song and really singing. But by 6.35, which is dawn today, 6.35, it's all over, done and dusted, and you don't hear anything. Why do they start so early? Well, with the birds, it really is, it's almost almost literally a case of the early bird catches the worm. So what they're doing is they want to get the singing over and done with as early as possible. And once that's done, then they get on with the rest of their day. Uh, at this time of year, when the birds are really starting to sing in the dawn chorus, what's really happening is they're essentially telling their neighbours that they've survived the night, and that their territory is still occupied, so it's not up for grabs. So what they do is usually in the evening with the dusk chorus, they'll sing to sort of fix their position and tell everybody around where they are. And then in the morning they sing again. The very first thing they'll do uh, to, to let the other birds know that they're still there. Now, what will happen is over the coming weeks, that song will get more intense. The birds will spend more of their time singing uh, as the, the nesting season really gets into full gear. Quite a few birds are nesting already, but some haven't started yet. So as more species and more individuals start to join in and get really down to the, the serious business of, of, of mating and laying eggs and raising chicks, the song becomes more prominent. And also, I think part of it is that birds, when they're singing first thing in the morning, they, they do it when there's just enough light in the sky to allow them to see. So the very first glimmer of light, mm. and they won't sing until they're, they're, they're confident there's enough light that they can see danger coming. Because when they're singing, they're giving the location away to all the predators in the neighborhood who could find them. Um, but they'll do that first, but it's too early for them really to do anything else. So the question, it seems, or at least the theory is, they get it over and done with as fast as they can when it's still too early for them to have enough light to go and, and feed and do other things they'd need to do. So that's the main theory. But certainly in the coming weeks, you're going to hear it more and more, I'm sure. Is it a year-round thing, Niall? Uh, for most birds, no. For most birds, it's very much late spring and early to mid-summer. Mm. So it, it really, really, you really notice it now in April really increasing. It usually peaks in, in, early, in early May, usually the first two weeks of May, and then sort of gradually declines until by about mid-June it, it's kind of lessening quite a lot at that stage and then for the second half of the summer it's, it's more quiet. Birds will still sing but it's not the same sort of performance. At that mm. stage most of them will have the chicks and they'll have the breeding over and done with and then in the autumn and the winter most birds don't sing at all uh, with one notable exception. Robins sing year round. So if you hear a bird singing in the middle of the winter it's almost certainly a robin. They're, they're known for that year round. Mm. And in my area obviously my, my regular visitors are robins blackbirds, song thrushes and I can identify those. You you can you you know the different songs that they are there singing yes that that's right they're, they're sort of the, the, the classic birds the real backbone of our dawn chorus no, no matter where you are really in ireland and uh, i know a lot of people find it difficult to learn to learn bird songs and get to grips with them but like everything else practice makes perfect mm. and it's really just you know just just put it put in some time and you, you'll work it out um we're in birdwatch ireland every year we have a series of dawn chorus events and, and dusk chorus events too that our branches run all over the country uh, so they'll be coming up in the month of may most of them are actually the second weekend of may but there's a few dotted dotted around right. at other times of the month as well so you can find that at birdwatchireland.ie go along to the events and uh, we'd, we'd love to welcome you. Yes, and you'll be able to recognise the the songs for sure. Thank you for That's so informative, I have to say. Uh, really brilliant. Now let's move on to uh, migration from Africa of Swallow Swifts and Martins. I have to say, Niall, I'm getting a little worried now. I haven't seen Martins are my visitors in my area and I haven't seen any yet. Yeah, there they, 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 should be some here at least already, although it's still early days. I wouldn't worry too much yet. There's still, there's still time. We've had records over the last few days of uh, the first swallows coming in, a few uh, house martins and sand martins as well. Uh, so I'm sure you'll see them see them soon enough. And we also had a, the first couple of reports of cuckoos as well. So the vast bulk haven't arrived yet, but any day now people could expect to start having those come in. Now, obviously cuckoos, not as widespread or as common as they used to be, unfortunately. So not a sound that everyone hears every year, but certainly worth listening out for. And then... Uh, 
a lot of our warblers and other migrants are coming in at the moment. And then my favorite of all, probably our last migrant to arrive will be the swifts. And they often don't arrive until May. So uh, we'll be, there's still plenty of time. Migration season really kicking off now. It's still a long time to go. What we're asking people to do, as, as every year, and I know your listeners are very good at doing this, we have a special project called Spring Alive. And we're asking people to go to the website of that, springalive.net, and let us know when they hear or see their first swift swallows, cuckoos, sand martins, or ringed plovers of the year. Uh, and uh, so that, that really helps us to keep track of what's happening with these birds' populations, because over time, we can plot their arrival date. And what's actually important, it's not, it's not so much when the earliest birds are, because you know one swallow does not a summer make, it's actually tracking the average arrival date over many years. That tells us a lot more about what's happening to the populations in terms of climate change and food availability. And we're not just doing it here in Ireland. Spring Alive uh, is actually, there's over 40 countries that take part in this. But I'm very proud that of all of those, Ireland has the highest participation every year. So I'm delighted about that. But our partners uh, in BirdLife International organizations all across Europe, Africa and Central Asia are also taking part. So it's a, a major effort internationally as well. Now, you might answer a question that came in. I think it was after you were with us last time or whatever, but I, I, I took note of it and I said, I'll put it to Niall the next day he's with me. A listener said to us, look, as regards the migrations of swallows and uh, martins, etc. from Africa, it's actually, Jerry, the listener maintained, the weather on the African side that dictates when they go. Is that true or false? Well, that, that's certainly part of it, yes. Uh, so obviously the, the birds aren't able to predict as far as we can tell what the weather will be like in Ireland when they arrive and we're at the, the end of their journey. So they have to fly across many other countries to get to us. And obviously if, if the weather in, in Africa is um, is poor or if they, they, they're in like any stormy conditions or very cold conditions, that will delay them because that's affected the availability of their food. Mm. Uh, they're also able to detect as far as we can tell pressure systems, you know, to tell where weather might be coming from. Um, so yeah, that, 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 there's certainly some truth in that. Although, to, to be honest, there's a lot we don't understand understand yet about how birds are able to ad- adapt to weather and, and, and sense what's going on with that. Certainly we know with climate change this is making the weather more uncertain and unsettled, particularly in Central Africa and also one of the problems that climate change has posed for swallows and other migratory birds is that the Sahara Desert is getting wider and wider each year and the Sahara regardless of how good the, or bad the weather may be, that the Sahara is still a very formidable obstacle that those birds have to get across. There's nowhere for them to shelter or to feed or to, you know, to hide from the elements or to rest they just have to blast across it as fast as they can and the sad fact is most of our swallows as far as we know don't survive that crossing most mm. of them die in the attempt and so it's really just the fittest of the fit that managed to get across and back to us here in Ireland and then of course once even if they cross the Sahara that's not uh, that's not the end of the, 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 the ordeal by any means they have to cross the Mediterranean then at that stage uh, birds are reluctant to cross water in many cases because they're very vulnerable there's nowhere for them to hide there's predators there certain types of hawk and falcon that will pick them off so we know our swallows try to cross at the shortest crossing point possible so they go across the Straits of Gibraltar uh, and head into Iberia there across from the Moroccan coast uh, but then that's not the end of it either they have to head across the, the, the plains and the mountains of Spain and then they have to get across the Pyrenees to get into France and head to us that way. So uh, many obstacles on the way for them and it's not surprising that really only the, the very strongest ones survive it. It really is quite an ordeal. And then when they arrive here, the last few weeks, cold Nile, really cold and if we had early arrivals, they depend on insect life. There wasn't a lot of it about Yes, that's right. And that's one of the problems that sometimes that the early swallows and other migrants can face. There's a bit of a gamble there. So if, if a swallow arrives back earlier than the other swallows, it gives it an advantage in one sense in that it gets it gets a chance to have the best nesting site, a better chance of attracting in a mate, and also a better chance to feed up when they do arrive to, to build up their strength and make sure they're fit for the breeding season and can, can you know see off their rivals and so on. However, you're quite right. If those early birds then are hit by cold weather or rainy or you know, weather conditions when they arrive here in Ireland, that depletes the insects that are available for them and they may die before the other swallows arrive back mm. in. So their advantage all of a sudden becomes a disadvantage. Or even if they do survive, they may not be as fit and healthy as the birds that have been feeding up, let's say, in France or in southern England before they arrive here in Ireland. So it really is a real sort of strategic game that the swallows are playing. Again, there's a lot about it we still don't understand about the forces that govern this, but it's certainly more complex than may at first meet the eye. Mm. So they come here as uh, singletons and then they pair up and they have a mate. When will they start building and when will there be first clutches or first uh, eggs in the nest? Well, swallows like to, to, to nest as many times as they can during the summer. They're one of the birds that has multiple multiple clutches or multiple broods. So most pairs will nest at least twice, but some will nest three times or even in exceptional circumstances, four times if we have a very hot, mild summer. Uh, so what they'll do is as soon as they arrive in, if they've been successful in finding a mate, they'll start to build their nests pretty quickly and they can build them rapidly. They, they always build inside a, a man-made structure, so inside a porch or a shed or a barn or a garage. And they make a mud nest, a sort of cup-shaped nest uh, with, with bits of straw 
straw or grass or hay interspersed into it. They're sometimes confused with the house martins, which are a related species. They're also members of the swallow family. And they always nest on the outside of a house or a building, mm. under the eaves usually, where they build a, a mud nest, just a pure mud with no grass or, or straw in it. So that's you can tell the difference between the nests of the two species. But what they'll do is they'll, they'll, they'll build a nest, they'll mate quite quickly, and then they'll start to, to lay eggs. The female lays the eggs very rapidly. She usually lays one egg a day. She might have a clutch of, of seven or eight eggs. So it might take a week or so for her to lay all those eggs. And then once she's finished, uh, she, she starts incubation at that stage. She won't start to incubate the eggs until the final one of the clutch has been laid. Uh, and then hatching usually takes more or less about two weeks. It's very rapid, so faster than people would think. And that's, of course, then when the real work begins for the parents because mom and dad then have to find enormous numbers of insects uh, to feed to those hungry mouths back in the nest. So it just shows how they're affected by weather, also affected by pollution and destruction of hedgerows and anything that might affect the insect populations here in Ireland. That has a huge knock-on effect on our swallows. And sadly, it's one of the main reasons why they're declining, I'm afraid. And when the youngsters are reared, how quickly do they feather up and flush and they go about uh, learning to fly themselves? Is that a, a few weeks as well? It, it is. It's, it's remarkably rapid as well. So, so uh, they, it's amazing that the, the egg of a swallow is tiny. It's, it's about the size of your fingernail, maybe slightly bigger than that. And they go from being the size of that to being a fully grown swallow within the space of about two weeks to two and a half weeks, depending on how much food the parents are able to find for them. But they grow very rapidly. Uh, and then when they leave the nest, then they're fully grown. You can still tell them apart from the adults because they don't have the long tail streamer feathers that the adults have. They, they have people who know uh, swallows will, will, will recognize the ones arriving back now in migration. They have uh, two Two long feathers, a bit like almost like knitting needles extending back from their tails. Mm. The youngsters don't have those. So you're able to tell the youngsters from the adults once they leave the nest. But apart from that, they're fully grown and able to fly and are looking after themselves. And they're then fending for themselves while mum and dad then go and have a second, uh, a second clutch of eggs and a second brood of chicks. So they have to learn to become independent very rapidly. And those youngsters won't breed this year in Ireland? No, they won't. No, so they'll uh, they'll head off to Africa on migration. Uh, they'll spend our winter having a second summer down in southern Africa, and then they'll return. Now, the sad fact is, most of them won't, will die in the attempt. Most don't survive their first year, but the lucky few that do survive, they'll breed next year. So, uh, yeah, it takes about a year for them to reach full maturity. And uh, the multiple clutches then are multiple families. I, I take it then, you know, and we uh, you've mentioned this to me before. If it gets too late in the year, well, they're in a bit of trouble. Yes, they are. So what will happen is it's 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 uh, the swallows are one of the last migrants to leave us. So they'll be nesting sometimes right into September or even into early October. It's not unusual to have broods of chicks in October. And yes, the survival chances of those chicks are certainly lower than ones that are raised earlier in the summer. But if there's enough food around and the weather is, is reasonably good, the parents may decide, well, look, this is a bit of an insurance policy. Their whole lives revolve around passing their genes on to the next generation. And if there's any chance at all that those chicks will survive, they may figure, well, it's, it's worth investing in this. We, we may not get another breeding season. Swallows are short-lived birds. They only nest maybe two or three times in their lives or have two or three breeding seasons. So they're thinking, well, you know, we may not survive. So uh, at least we try to get another, another brood away. Some of those may survive to replace us in the population. Now, when I say think, obviously there's no conscious thought going into this. This is a process that has evolved over millions of years. Mm. Uh, but uh, this, this is what the birds do. So yeah, it's a bit of an insurance policy. The chance of those late birds surviving are, are lower, but they're, they're, they're not non-existent. Some will survive and, and will go on to pass their parents' genes on to the next generation. Oh, brilliant, Nile. They're fascinating. I love to see them. They are the harbingers of late spring, summer time, and it's wonderful to see them back. And I hope nothing ever destroys that mystery that is simply the essence of nature. Springalive.net, springalive.net for your uh, sightings. And do, I say to you again, join Birdwatch Ireland. I am a member myself. Until the next time, happy Easter, Nile. And to you, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for joining me. Niall Hatch there from Birdwatch Ireland. What a brilliant guy he is. Aren't they fascinating? Nature, you just can't beat it. Florence and the Machine on your late lunch this Thursday afternoon ahead of the Easter holidays. Fantastic song. She's brilliant, that young woman, isn't she? Actually, that's a a Candy Statton song originally. uh, Dates back to 1986. She covered it brilliantly there. And uh, when Statton released it, well, it really did nothing chart-wise. But for Florence, she... uh, Got up to number seven in the UK charts. Top ten hit for her there, but fantastic song. Wonderful cover, wonderful version. Now, reminding you, our live coverage of the Premier League continues this Saturday on the LMFM app or by clicking on the Listen tab on our LMFM website. At 12.30, Spurs take on Brighton, while at 3 o'clock, 
Southampton are uh, at home on the south coast against Arsenal. Premier League live with now stream live action from BT and Premier Sport with a now sports extra membership. It's all there for you. We were watching the Champions League last evening. Yeah, I was keeping a good eye on the games. Well, Liverpool got through in the end. Oh God, it was a it was a great game, a three-three draw there, and plenty of chances. But Liverpool through to the semi-finals, where they'll play Villarreal, the surprise side, and on the other side of the draw, it's Real Madrid up against Manchester City. What a match against Atletico Madrid, and the scenes at the end. By God, Atletico, they fight tooth and nail, literally on the pitch and everything else besides but there you are City through and uh, great semi-finals to look forward to and I'm looking forward to chatting to my next guest because he always brings a smile to my face and many of yours I know too it's our wine man Rick Cronje next we're going to sort out your quaffing at the Easter table right now with our wine man Rick Cronje afternoon Rick good afternoon Jerry, and to the listeners Thank you for joining me. Now we're back to Dunn Stores for the white and the red this time round. And there's a little story behind this, Rick, I believe. There is, Jerry. Uh, the last time we spoke uh, two weeks ago, it was a hard choice because I had these four bottles. <laughs> and um, I, all I really had to do was to decide which one to uh, present for the Easter table. So. Yeah, so this this was uh, my choice. I wanted it. You know, we have, the last two years, as we all know, we just haven't had the opportunity to celebrate Easter the way uh, we normally do. So, yeah, I want to do to keep it, uh, especially for today. Ah, uh, well done to you, Rick. And they are two gorgeous wines, I have to say. The first one. Let's begin with the white New Zealand Marlborough, very familiar name. Rapura, uh, Rapa. How do you pronounce that? Rapara. Uh, Rapara. Rapara. Rapara yeah. Springs Classic Sauvignon Blanc 2021 from Dunn's Stores. Now, this is two, a story of two families who came together uh, with an interesting tale on one side. They weren't uh, wine growers at all, the Nalans. No, they weren't. Uh, Jerry, they were neighbours and uh, the Nalon family uh, in the early 80s, uh, they actually um, grew and processed the uh, mussels, the the green-lipped mussel. uh, And they were one of the first families to do that from uh, New Zealand. And then they brought, uh, in in, uh, 1985, they actually uh, bought prime vineyard land. And that's when they joined up with the neighbours initially to grow orchard trees and fruits, and then they established the vineyards. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. So the Nalen and the Whiffen families have come together, Rapara Springs, and they have won many awards, Rick, for their wines. Oh, they're well-known, uh, Jerry, and uh, the springs is because they have a lot of water, a lot of springs uh, uh, on on the uh, the land there. So, yeah, they've won various uh, awards, and uh, their wines are always in the top uh, classifications and, you know, getting higher ratings um, all over the world. Mm. And uh, we're talking today about uh, a classic from New Zealand, Sauvignon Blanc, but they also grow, don't they, Chardonnay there, Pinot Gris? Noir, yes? Yes, they have Chardonnay, they have Pinot Noir, uh, Pinot Gris. Pinot Noir is doing very, very well in uh, New Zealand. Uh, again, we just seem to, you know, um, hit the right spots there. But yes, those, those are the other uh, varieties that they uh, grow. Sauvignon Blanc, as we know, 70, 75% of New Zealand uh, is uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Mm. So it's nice to see the other varieties that, that go with it, yes. The, the terror. Come back to that again for a moment, because this is critical uh, in the uh, end product and producing the wonderful flavours, Rick. It is, Jerry, and uh, the 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 difference. And I, I I hope listeners remember this. Southern Hemisphere, they're not as strict. Uh, they're strict in the quality control. There's no doubt, but they allow for bigger areas where you can collect your raw product from in Mm. comparison with the rest of Europe. And that's why they're always consistent year after year in the qualities because you can go that much further to get the right uh, quality of product. And this one, they is very much, again, one of those situations where the terroir came together and uh, it was collected from three different terroirs from three different uh, areas. Mm. Uh, Wairo would have brought the sort of ripe passion fruit, the fruitiness to the wine. Why Hopai would have brought the minerality, 
there'll be uh, clay and lime soils there. And then Dylan's Point will bring the leafy notes to it. So again, very, very well planned, very well worked out, and obviously a lot of uh, experience to go with Mm. it. Pale gold wine, uh, you say on the nose, citrus, tropical. You mentioned there passion fruits and a bit of grapefruit thrown in as well. (laughs) Rick, I don't think you've ever said this to me before, but it jumps out at me here on the palate. Rick Cronje says, this wine is a mouthful of fruit. It is, Jerry. It is. It's absolutely amazing. Um, I mean, we what I think was two two months ago, we had the White Haven, which was a very lovely. elegant, lovely, but soft. Whereas this one really jumps out of you. Even on the nose, it's, it's very strong, very powerful. A slight pungent from a touch, touch of that melon sweetness. Yes. Um, it's just a, a, a lovely all-rounder, very... Uh, a really a mouthful of fruit yes no no doubt about it aperitif for sure matching it with food seafood like a lovely white like this go lovely what it with seafood it would jerry because it's it's just a lovely all-rounder mm. because of that fruitiness and that balance with the acidity um even spicy food lovely goat's cheese i love my goat's cheese mm. uh, i can't well i love the goat as well to be honest <laughs> but anyway that's a story for another day jerry <laughs> And the other key thing with this, you know, you often tell us that people over chill wines and you shouldn't do that and uh, getting a nice red to room temperature. But you need to involve the refrigerator on this one, Nick, uh, Rick. You do, Jerry. It's it's just that fruitiness is so bold and so strong and just put it. That little bit extra, maybe an hour in the, in, in the fridge uh, rather than half an hour. Uh, it just closes that. A very strong um, flavors mm. the moment you open it um, and and then by glass too I guarantee you'll be happy it's a lovely it's a happy wine ah, it's that's a happy wine great Rick that's what we want to hear this Easter time reminding you again New Zealand Marlborough uh, Rapora Springs Classic Sauvignon Blanc 2021 Dunn Stores €9.20 it's a good price as well so Dunn Stores have this one let's move on to the red and uh, you're moving uh, across uh, the, the sea from New Zealand to the neighbours Australia Rick I do, Jerry. A lovely ah. This is really one of the um, uh, really outstanding wines so far this year. Uh, Australia Barossa Valley, of course, and uh, a name we can't forget: Yalumba Galway Vintage 2019. Beautiful. And Dunn Stores 1160. This one just slightly nearer than the white. Where does the Galway come into the title? It's just a name they they came up with, uh, uh, Jerry, Mm. uh, into it. There's no actual... I was looking if there's a connection, but I'm afraid uh, no. There's There's no connection. It's just to catch us Irish to say, oh, there's something with Galway in it, so we'll give that a go. Very clever marketing. Anyway, this uh, Yolumba, the vines there go way back to 1850 or so, sixth generation now. Barossa, primarily red. Oh, very much. And Shiraz. This is a right. Shiraz 100%, 2019. Very much so, uh, Jerry. It's, it's just everything. The terroir, the, the climate, uh, the, the, the soils, everything is just, yeah, it's just uh, Shiraz. I mean, um, it, it's it, Australia as a whole, it's 25% will be Shiraz. Mm. So, uh, yeah, very much so. It's grown in just about every region you're going to find uh, find Shiraz for it. And just, uh, yeah, just very a, much so. Just a side note, the Yolumba Cooperage, you told me this, uh, it's unique in the Southern Hemisphere. Why, Rick? It's the only one of its kind left, uh, Jerry. I see, okay. It's the only kind left where there's people actually, uh, you know, doing the cooperage, making the vats, repairing them. Yep. It's. I'm afraid it's everything else now is automated, but that's yeah. the only one still left. There you go, crafting the oak barrels. Um, uh, the grapes uh, harvested uh, across the Barossa, uh, Barossa region, Rick. It is, Jerry. Again, back to what we were just saying previously. This is the advantage of the southern hemisphere uh, across the whole region, and again. Uh, just to emphasize, this is why the consistency is so good with the uh, Southern Hemisphere wines, because they can expand that base in mm. which they collect 
the raw material. Yeah, that's that's so true. I, I remember asking you that, how is there a consistency? And you told me that before, that, that this is the reason that you don't get elsewhere. Now, of course, it's a deep red. Uh, Rick Cronje says this is a very bold, big wine. It is, Jerry. It is. It, it, you definitely need food, always the first glass, just to enjoy it. What I did find with it is you could drink it straight away, unlike the previous red we spoke about. Mm. Um, you could drink it straight away, but it definitely, um, you know you drink in a good, solid um, red wine, yeah, um, and you're drinking Shiraz. Now, it doesn't quite have all that smokiness that you would normally find with it. It's 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 very bold it's very full-bodied but it's also very smooth and you're going to get that vanilla and that touch of oak on it but it wasn't on oak it's, it's just it, it it's just through the soils that you mm. that you get that earthiness is is the word i'm looking for so if you're uh, opting for lamb this springtime this is your wine to match with it Absolutely, Jerry, especially if, if it's uh, somewhere between medium to well done. And, um, you know, I always like to see a little bit of fat on it because when you're cooking, it just keeps it, it stops it from drying out, mm. uh, of course, um, and it just keeps it moist. Um, I think, yeah, that acidity and that boldness of this wine, it'll just cut into that fattiness there. And, of course, the herbs and spices we use, so you need something to stand up to that. Uh, just for listeners' benefit, if if I put a Pinot Noir with it, it will probably match, but it might just be a little bit flinty to, to stand up to the, the richness and the spices that go with our, uh, the, tradi- the traditional way of, of preparing yes. the lamb. Uh, by extension, beef and game, I'm sure, as well. But I'll, I'll, yes. I'll, I'll, I'll throw a little grenade into the conversation here. Would it? Would it do with the turkey? Would it? Would, people love turkey now, Easter time as well. I believe so, Jerry. Yes, um, I think it will, Jerry, because it has that definite touch of sweetness in the aftertaste, and I think it will go to. Yeah, I think it will stand up to 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 poultry. I really believe it will. Yeah, mm. give it a go. I mean, if you're having. Uh, lamb and you're having turkey well good luck <laughs> you're covered all round just reminding you again the red today Australia Barossa Valley Yalumba Galway Vintage you won't miss it 2019 Shiraz Dunn Stores have it 1160 and uh, our white today from Rick New Zealand Marlborough Rapora Springs Classic Sauvignon Blanc 2021 again Dunn Stores 9 euro 20 you're sorted for the Easter. Rick Cronje, happy Easter to you. Happy wine and happy eating. The same to you and all the listeners, Jerry. Happy Easter. Thank you for joining me. The brilliant Rick Cronje there. Oh, man, he's just fantastic. He really is. He's a brilliant man uh, with his wines and his recommendations. Well, he's rarely brought us something that hasn't uh, pleased. I have to say that about him. He's brilliant. And I uh, thank him again for joining us on the show. Late Lunch LMFM Radio. My soundtrack this week coming up after three is from A Star Is Born. And we're in the kitchen with Tara Walker. But up next, we want to tell you uh, about a drama airing here on LMFM Radio over the bank holiday. Never short on drama in LMFM Radio, that's for sure, over the years. But a real drama is happening on Bank Holiday Monday here on the station at 12 noon. It's called The Boundary, and I'm going to find out more about it now. And welcome to Late Lunch, Connor McGinnity. Hello, Connor. Hello, Jerry. How are things? How are you? I'm really good. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Well, look, the, the floor is yours. Tell me first off, who wrote this, The Boundary? A guy called PJ Hart wrote it. He's a guy. He's a, North, a northern guy from Belfast. Um, he works for the BBC up there. He's kind of a friend of a friend. Mm. And I'm a, I'm a radio drama um, a radio drama producer by trade. So I just kind of reached out to him and I said, I knew he was a great writer. Um, he said stuff on TV and that kind of thing, uh, short films and all the rest of it. And I just reached out to him and said, Listen, would you have anything in mind? Would there be anything you'd have that could be? We could rework, rework for radio. Mm. So we had this, and we were working on it for a while together. And there's um, a BEI system, you know. Obviously, you get you get backing from that. So I ended up getting backing with that, and we kind of worked through the drafts. And here we are. Here's the boundary. You know, it's a historical drama. Yeah, and and you're talking about wartime. Just give us a little feel yeah. for it. You know what 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 it's going to be about. 
it's kind of, it's World War Two, set around World War Two. It's a kind of it's you know kind of loosely fictional. You know, it's fictionalized, loosely based on true events, mm. based around true events. So basically, during World War Two, there was um, there were Nazi plots. You know, in the early stages and communication between the Nazis and the IRA, um, the Abwehr, the intelligence corps, and the Nazis, they were trying to come over here and they had this thing called Operation Green, and they were gonna. Going to, maybe they were talking about invading Ireland and talking about kind of setting something up with the IRA in terms of attacking Britain from this side. Mm. But um, it, it didn't go ahead. But this drama is, is, is a largely fictionalized kind of telling of what that sort of thing might have been and yes. who might have been involved. And it's, it's that sort of thing. Yeah, so it's, it's Irish. It's historical. Yeah, it takes all the boxes. It's a great listen on radio, you know? Yeah, and... and it, it really well. Yeah, and it revolves around an Irish soldier who yeah. has a, a, a time frame and a short time frame to save yeah. his daughter from British intelligence and his country from the Nazis. This is it, exactly, yeah, this is it. So basically, we are felt, we're following... Our main character is Jimmy Black. He was... Uh, he's an Irish soldier. He's from the North. Um, he fought in in Spain in the Spanish Civil War against fascism. And now he's um, back in Ireland and he's been recruited by the British Secret Service, the British Intelligence Service, to um, try and infiltrate these Nazi operations. And actually, it turns out, his daughter is involved. Mm. She's the IRA representative for... um, for uh, the operations with the Nazis, so yes. that's that's where that's where the drama starts. Mm. You know, it's intriguing, isn't it? It really is. And, and you know the thing about it, like this is your game, this is your profession, your business. Uh, radio, you know, it, it paints pictures, and and this drama, when you're when you're in your side of things, it really is about painting the picture to the listener, isn't it? Sure, it absolutely is. Look, radio is probably the most visual medium I find. Mm. You know, when you're watching a film or even if you're reading a book, you have the stuff there in front of you. Yeah. You're kind of, you know, your your mind isn't really painting as much of a picture. But with radio, it is, you know, and I mean, the, the casting is going to be different for every single person. You're watching it, you're listening to it, you know, um, you're sitting there and, you know, maybe you're in a darkened room, maybe you've got a nice set of headphones or speakers on or you're just listening in your car. But it's going to be different for everyone, and everyone's going to have a different experience of it. So that's one of the, the really magical things about radio, I find. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you, I'm saying to listeners today, if you haven't before, take this opportunity to join us at noon on Bank Holiday Monday and, and find out what this is all about. And I know for fans of it, uh, you know, it's it's something people really, when they get in on this, I don't have to tell you about this. And it, it's, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And people flock to it all the time to listen. It is, it absolutely is. And sure, we've seen recent, in recent years the explosion of podcasts. Yes. You know, it's, we're, not, we're not talking about, you know, oh, what are you watching at the weekend or whatever else. But it's, it's podcasts. If you're going for a walk, if you're in the gym, if you're out in the garden, whatever you're doing, you're cooking dinner, mm. you're listening to podcasts and catching up on that sort of thing. So drama is just, it's, a, it's another part of that, radio drama. Yeah, yeah and, you know, I've, I've seen them worked here uh, uh, in my time. Uh, Sarah, who worked with us here, was fantastic and produced wonderful yeah, uh, dramas, yeah. you know, you know uh, yourself. And, and I, yeah, I was, and, yeah. yes, yes, and, 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 and I've actually had the privilege to see, you know, it being put together and that as well. And it, it, it is a, a, a fantastic genre. It really is. And, you know, here's the opportunity. You don't have to listen wherever you listen to your podcast. You just tune yeah. in to LMFM Radio online or on the app or on the radio on Bank Holiday Monday noon and this drama will unfold for you. You're very proud of it. I really am, Jerry. You know, it's great. It's a great, uh, it turned out really well. Really had fun making it and working with loads of different people, loads of different actors and creatives from around the Northeast region and from the North as well. You know, it was great, yeah, really great. Well, look, I'm looking forward to listening in and tuning in myself. Noon, Bank Holiday Monday, right here on LMFM Radio. I say it again, the drama will unfold. Wartime, World War Two, an Irish angle and a British as well as you can. And the Nazis thrown in for good measure. The boundary, the boundary it's called. Anyway, I wish you well with it and we're all looking forward to it airing. Thanks very much, Jerry. Thank you so much for having me on. Not at all. You're very welcome. Take care of yourself. That's PJ Hart there, ahead of the airing this Bank Holiday Monday at noon.
don't miss it. It's really good. It really, really is good. And as I said, if you haven't before, you will enjoy, I promise you. And for aficionados, well, you'll be listening for sure. Time to bring the curtain down on my soundtrack this week, which is the movie A Star Is Born, the fourth remake, incidentally, of the film. Did you know uh, that famous for all the wrong things, Mr. Will Smith, following the Oscars, was always intended to play the lead male role in the movie, but timing and choice dictated otherwise, as he opted to play boxer Muhammad Ali in Ali the Movie. For female lead, Alicia Keys turned it down, while Mariah Carey was also mentioned in dispatches. It looked like it was Beyonce's part, but her pregnancy put paid to that. In the end, Bradley Cooper directed and starred opposite the multi-talented and destined-to-be leading lady, Lady Gaga. What a stroke of good fortune. And here they are with A Star Is Born's signature song. Tell me something, girl Are you happy in this modern world? Oh, do you Is there something else you're searching for? I'm falling In all the good times I find myself longing for change And in the bad times I fear myself Oh, simply brilliant. Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga from my featured soundtrack this week from the movie A Star Is Born. One of the best-selling singles now of all time. When I tell you that in 2019 alone, that record sold 10 0.2 million copies. It's just fantastic. And next week I'll bring you another soundtrack from a music, uh, musical or movie. I'll have to make me pick over the weekend. Final break of the day and the week on late lunch. And afterwards we head to East Coast Cookery School with Tara Walker for the final episode of Springtime Dishes. We're back at East Coast Cookery School for the final episode of Tara Walker and her spring dishes. My, my, haven't the weeks flown by. But we're going to finish with a crescendo. Oh, this is a gorgeous little leek and gruyere tart. In order to keep things really simple for your listeners, we're going to use a shop-bought puff pastry. By all means, make your own short crust pastry. I absolutely love it. I've actually made quite a few of them lately. I've had a, a craving for pear and almond tart. <laughs> but definitely the puff pastry is a great little thing to have in your freezer just to frost an hour or two before you need it just let it sit out in your kitchen counter or somewhere warm in your kitchen and it's a great base for lots of different things but because we're celebrating spring recipes I'm going to do a nice little bit of leek and gruyere so I'm just letting some some butter foam up in my pan here and I'm going to add my finely sliced leeks and we talked in one of the last episodes of this series about how to do the leek just you know cut it along the the length of it and then you'll find at the top sometimes there's a little bit of grit and so just clean that out before you start cooking with them we're just going to let that saute now for a few minutes with a pinch of salt and pepper those leeks have a lovely color haven't they yes so we've been having a bit of a laugh and a cup of coffee here jerry so give them a good 10 minutes there because i really want them to get it might even be more than 10 minutes like maybe 12 13 minutes a good rich deep kind of golden brown color on them so i'm going to just take them off the heat now and I'm going to get on with the rest of the tart and just take them off the pan because I don't want them too hot going into my essentially like a little custard that I'm making so I'll just put them into a little bowl now just to let them cool while I'm assembling the rest of the tart because obviously when they're super hot off the pan like this they could kind of start to scramble or curdle mm. uh, the mixture so here I have a rectangular um, little dish a uh, baking dish here and I have my ready-made puff pastry I'm putting my rectangular dish I'm holding it over a rectangle of the pastry and I'm keeping about half an inch bigger on all sides than the dish itself so that I can kind of have it sitting upright if you know what I mean and I'm going to take the paper that the puff pastry comes in and I'm going to cut that down and use that as my 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 grease proof paper essentially in here and it's really important so normally obviously quiches and tarts like this are with short crust pastry so for this one it's really important 
that the bottom of it is cooked well. So I'm actually going to put it into the bottom of the oven and then I will take it out of the greaseproof paper and the tray. That's why I have the greaseproof paper so I can lift it out easily. And I'll just pop it onto the shelf of the oven directly for a minute or two so that we don't get the famous soggy bottom. So now lifting that in, making sure, as you can see, that half inch of extra pastry that we had is creating a little kind of well for us. It's a very rustic tart, this, you know, it's not like fancy. And for our little custard now, I'm going to break two eggs into a bowl. I'm going to top up with a bit of cream, some salt and pepper and some nutmeg. You could go with a bit of cayenne or something like that, but I'm actually staying traditional today and I'm just going with the nutmeg. And that's your filling for the tart. Yeah, and salt and pepper. And I am going to put a little bit of Gruyere in as well. I'm going to use white pepper now this time on purpose rather than black pepper. I just like that flavour more with these kind of white sauces. But also it doesn't give you the flecks of black in it. So just give that a really good mix up. And then I'm going to spread my leeks, which have been cooling for a few minutes. Like they're not cold, cold, but they're just not really, really hot anymore. Spreading it out across the bottom of the tart. There we go and topping with some nice grated Gruyere cheese. I actually have been buying Gruyere quite a lot instead of cheddar lately just to you know have on a cracker or whatever. There's a really nice range of it in uh, Aldi and Lidl at the moment so keep an eye out for it. And then I'm spreading the Gruyere cheese on top of the leeks. There we go. Keep a tiny bit back just to pop on top so that you get that nice kind of gratinated look. And adding my custard custard makes it sound like it's something sweet but you know what I mean it's like a, a quiche filling or yes. a tart filling and just get all of that out now with my spatula then just top with a little bit more cheese well actually I'll hold that cheese back what we'll do is we'll pop it into the oven now for about 10 minutes see how it goes at the bottom of the oven so the bottom's getting cooked and then what we'll do is we'll try and lift it out and pour and sprinkle another little bit of cheese which will just melt on the top give it a nice look and then also we'll get rid of that soggy bottom <laughs> There it goes into the oven at the base of the oven. This is very important for this tart, right at the bottom of the oven there for 10 minutes. Yeah, because we have puff pastry. If you were using short crust pastry, you wouldn't need to do that. Let's have another cup of coffee while that's working okay. away there. <laughs> <laughs> You've taken the tart out of the oven there and it looks gorgeous. Yeah, well, it's not ready yet. So it's at 10 minutes there at the bottom of the oven and it's about half done, maybe a little bit more than half done, okay? This is why I was keeping the uh, greaseproof paper underneath because I'm just lifting it out onto the oven shelf. I've taken the oven shelf out onto the hop here and I'm popping it back into the oven now without anything around it, you know, so that the pastry has a chance to cook without being soggy, basically. So that goes back in now on a high shelf, taken out of the dish that it was in there yeah. uh, to let the heat get right up and through it. And how long will you give it there now? Yeah, so it needs another six or seven minutes. Perfect. I can't wait. Mm -hmm. Ooh, look at so, that. Isn't that just Isn't that beautiful? Lovely? It's really nice. Like, and how easy was that, you know? Yeah. And a lovely supper or lunch. Quite filling. I mean, maybe if you were starving, you might want some meat in there or fish in there. You could add ham, bacon, you know, salmon, whatever you fancy in there. Smoked salmon would be lovely in there. It is a spring dish because it's lovely green leeks in there. You know, you could play around with this in the winter as well and make it a real kind of rich wintry tart as well it's not complicated it doesn't take an awful lot of time and that was your aim in this series to produce wonderful food in jig time exactly look i think now that we're all getting out and about a little bit more you know nobody's in the mood to spend hours and hours in the kitchen but we still want to eat well but there's a final little addition again yes you were going in there with your knife and fork before i had a chance i just want to garnish it up a little bit and this kind of turns it into more of a meal as well so i've got more of these gorgeous root up microgreens i mentioned those before in the show so i'm just putting a selection of those you could if you didn't have these I mean you could do some rocket or something like that so it just kind of gives us a little freshness on top of something that's kind of you know kind of rich with the egg and the pastry and everything and now I'm just finishing off with a little drizzle of balsamic vinegar very small drizzle and this is gorgeous olive oil that Seamus from Quintessential Wines on the Dublin Road there gave me as a gift. It's from the Chianti region and I have to say it's I think the nicest olive oil I've ever had in Ireland. I must say now it's really fab. So let's get a little drizzle of that going on. And I'm just doing that sparingly with both the balsamic and the olive oil. And that is our tart. Oh, the balsamic. The odour coming off the hot tart there is gorgeous. Yeah, and the balsamic just cuts through the richness. But as you can see, I've gone very easy on it. And it's actually a nice kind of rich balsamic. It's not like a very sharp one, you know, it's kind of slightly sweet as well. 
Look at the steam rise there off it. It's absolutely beautiful. And knife and fork at the ready too. I'll just take a little bit off the corner there and have a taste. Give her a little blow. I don't know what to say because, again, it is just beautiful. And my God, in this series, Tara, I congratulate you. Have you captured the tastes and flavours of springtime that's outstanding. It's just gorgeous. Oh, thank you very much, Jerry. I'm delighted you're enjoying it so much. I suppose we've been doing the show, what, six years now, I think, together, um, this particular slot. And, uh, you know, it's always a challenge to come up with new things. And this one I've actually just made up as we've gone along today. But, I mean, look, you're following a few basic rules. Puff pastry, um, a kind of savoury custard and caramelised leeks. Where can you go wrong? Just make sure you get rid of the soggy bottom on the pastry and you're away (laughs) (laughs) and she's done that superbly it's a beautiful crisp bottom on it and it's just totally gorgeous and so filling as well and I'm going to enjoy a little more of it here well Tara that brings us to the end of our spring series it's been fantastic it really has I'm going to give you a break now (laughs) you'll be delighted with that anyway we'll be back for summertime uh, to East Coast Cookery School to enjoy more wonderful food produced by the brilliant hands and abilities of Tara Walker thank you so much indeed for hosting us again thank you so much Jerry it's been lovely to see you in person again and I look forward to seeing you in the summer and I hope you'll bring some of your lovely tomatoes and courgettes with you (laughs) they're on the way I promise thanks Tara thanks Jerry. good to see you the Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Check out the new sporty and spacious Renault Arcana in petrol and full hybrid. Guaranteed delivery, low AP or finance and 48-hour test drive. Visit BlackstoneMotors.ie Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.